The rest of us are going to be in Romans chapter 14 this morning. So if you have a Bible, this is the time dedicated to the preaching of God's Word and the hearing of God's Word. And I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to talk about a complicated issue this morning. So complicated, a whole chapter in the Bible is dedicated to it. You might be thinking, hmm, complicated. So are we going to talk about how there's one true God who's eternally existed in three persons? That seems like it would take a chapter. Uh, We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a human being, humbling himself and becoming one of us. That's That's a complicated matter, how he could be God and man at the same time. Well, we're not going to talk about that kind of complicated. Those are great things to talk about, but that's not what's in view in Romans 14. What's view in Romans 14 is the complicated practical matter of judging. Judging. Should we judge as Christians? Or shouldn't we judge as Christians? And some want to say loudly, yes, we should. (laughs) And others want to say, no, we shouldn't. And sometimes argue with one another about it. It's a complicated issue, this matter of Christians judging. This morning we're going to see a particular kind of judging that is forbidden for Christians, the kind we don't want to engage in. But before we get there, maybe it would be helpful just to have us all be thinking more broadly in a biblical sense to talk about what the Bible does say about judging. It's not just a one-dimensional, flat piece of paper kind of issue. There's a lot the Bible says about judging. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the theology of judging, even though I like that kind of as a title. We're not going to do that a lot this morning, but just a little sampling. We learn pretty quickly in the Bible that God is holy. And the people of Israel in the Old Testament were called to be a holy nation. Well, that right there demands judgment, right? Holy is separate. Holy is different. They had food laws. They had all kinds of laws they needed to follow. And that made them distinct. They were constantly, because they were called to be holy, they were called to be people who judged. Just how it goes. And then we move into the New Testament. First Peter says, be holy for I am holy. And now he's talking not about the nation of Israel, but people like you and like me as Christians. You can't be holy unless you're making judgments, unless you're evaluating things. It would be, it would be impossible. Then we move on to 1 Corinthians 5. And in 1 Corinthians 5, which we won't look at this morning, we see that Christians are mandated to judge other Christians the end of 1 Corinthians 5, we're called to judge each other when it comes to, if we say we're Christians, we should live like Christians. And we should be admonishing one another to live like Christians. Dealing with those issues of morality, things we learned about at the end of chapter 13. So yeah, there's a place for Christian judging. As as a matter of fact, it's, it's commanded in the Bible. Or we could talk about discernment. We can talk about the noble Bereans in, in Acts chapter 17. They were acknowledged as noble because they were examining the scriptures to see if these things were so. They're making judgments. Is what Paul is saying biblical or isn't it biblical? There's judging and it's commendable by God. And then we move on to where we're not supposed to judge in our theology of judging. 1 Corinthians 5 also says to Christians like you and like me, don't judge. Don't judge people's morality or lack thereof if they're not Christians. We can't expect people who are not Christians, they don't have the Spirit of God in them, they've not been regenerated by the Spirit, we can't expect them to live like Christians, so we shouldn't preach morality to unbelievers. That's 1 Corinthians 5, don't judge. See, there's lots of layers. Uh, Then the most 
popular verse in the whole Bible in the United States in the 21st century. Right? It used to be John 3.16. Now we don't know what John 3.16 is. But there's a Bible verse somewhere. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, because nobody knows where it is. But anyway, there's that Bible verse out there where Jesus says, Judge not what? Lest you be judged. Yeah, I know the Bible says that. No teaches that. And uh, that's true. We might say that's like judgmentalism. But he certainly is not saying never make evaluations. Remember, in the same book, Jesus is the one who says, as one of my friends says, don't throw your pearls before swine. As one of my friends likes to say, somebody has to decide who the pigs are. Right? I mean, so Jesus isn't talking about piece of paper, one-dimensional, no judging. We're, we're evaluating, but clearly he means this judgmentalism. Judge not lest you too be judged by the same kind of evaluation. Well, as you can see, it's a complex business, this business of judging. This morning, we're going to hone in and focus in on Romans 14 so that we can understand a way we're not supposed to judge. And it's dealing with this matter of non-biblical issues, issues of conscience, we might say, uh, gray issues in the Bible, Bible, issues that the Bible doesn't speak directly to. And it's going to talk about how we, as Christians, whether you're a weak Christian, you're not mature, or you are a mature Christian, that we ought not be judging each other based upon those kinds of things. For Romans 13, at the end, the morality is black and white. 1 Corinthians 5, black and white. We're called to admonish each other on those things. Truth. But there are other issues that we don't really know the answers to. Apparently, there's freedom in Christ. Interestingly enough, sometimes these are the issues that people have the strongest opinions about and the strongest convictions about, unfortunately. So this is going to be helpful for us as a church. It's a complicated issue, whole chapter in the Bible. We need to learn to, in a sense, stay out of each other's business, right? We need, we need to stay out of each other's business when it comes to personal convictions, preferences, wisdom issues. It's not what it's about. Let's go ahead and read the text so you can see what I'm talking about. If you want to go ahead and look at Romans 14, and we'll read verses 1 to 12, and uh, we'll stop there this morning. It says in verse 12 of chapter 14, As for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? 
For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now what we're going to do is look at that a little closer, understanding what it means by what it says, hopefully better, and then seeking to apply it in our own realm, where we live and where we breathe. There won't be an outline this morning. There doesn't really need to be one because it's all about one thing. Uh, I suppose we do have the beginning of chapter 14 talking about not judging other Christians based upon preferences or wisdom issues. The second part is going to deal with not causing weaker Christians to stumble. Next week we'll talk about that, Lord willing. We'll talk about what it means, what it doesn't mean, how we might apply it. Uh, But we're really not going to do an outline this morning. If you feel cheated... Uh, and that's kind of cheap that you didn't get an outline this morning. Um, Tyler gave you a three-point outline today about Isaac Watts. So um, you don't get your money back. You've got a sermon outline even in the music part. And uh, so I don't feel bad at all. Well, with this in mind, let's, let's talk about this business of getting along with each other as Christians. Back to verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, it's immature, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And I like that last word because it's a good way to translate this idea uh, and, and introduce us to this reality. There are things that are to be categorized as opinions. Not everything is black and white. Not everything is a biblical issue. What's interesting is many times it's the new Christians or immature Christians who think everything absolutely is black and white. And there's no preference kind of issues and we should die on every single preference hill and we should preach our own convictions about everything, even if they're not in the Bible. And uh, been there, done that. Um, Not everything is a black and white issue. And I don't mean in some sort of postmodern, there's no meaning out there anywhere kind of thing in the name of false humility. But not everything is a biblical issue. It's a matter of opinions. A person who, who is weak in faith, don't, don't quarrel with them. Don't argue with them about it. Verse 1 really sets the tone for everything. Then verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. And that, by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, based upon the context, we're going to see the person who believes they can eat anything is the strong Christian, the mature Christian. Not necessarily one who's been a Christian for a long time, because some people have been Christians for a long time, and they're still immature. But the person who thinks they can eat anything, and I didn't say eat as much as they want, it's anything, right? That's another sermon, that's gluttony. But the person who thinks they can eat anything and live for the glory of Christ is the mature Christian. He goes on to say, while the weak, so we know that that person is the strong one at the beginning, while the weak person, the immature person, eats only vegetables. And if you're a vegetarian, he's really not aiming uh, the rifle at you. You're not in the crosshairs. I know you want to find yourself in the Bible, but you're not there. Um, He's talking about something to do with religion, with spirituality, that somehow you think, that someone thinks that if if they're going to be godly, they can't eat certain things. Now, a couple ideas might be in view, and both would be applicable. One might be dealing with converts from Judaism. If you're a Jew and you're converting to becoming a Christian, which would be really entering into the fullness of the promise, if that's you, you've got some baggage when it comes to food laws. 
because you've got Leviticus 11 and all the different food laws, and, and so you can't eat shrimp cocktail, for example. Well, you're becoming a Christian, you learn about Acts chapter 10, and you say, actually, everything's fair game, even shrimp cocktail. The mature Christian understands this and can eat it to the glory of God. The immature Christian, the new Christian, the one who hasn't not only read the Bible enough, been taught enough, but hasn't allowed their conscience to be biblically informed enough to get them comfortable with this, doesn't understand it. They're, just in, they're still immature. It's not meant to be an insult. They're just not understanding yet. May also have a different kind of person in view. The person who's coming out of a certain religious background. And that religious background would say, you can't eat certain things. Or you can't eat certain things at certain times. They're the one who's weak in faith. They're going to say, well, if you guys are going to have that, um, pass the broccoli. Okay? In New Testament times, it might be because there's all this pagan worship and you offer sacrifices, meat sacrifices to these false gods. And you're going to say, you know what? I can't go there because I've just come out of paganism and I worship Jesus Christ now. I just, just give me the Brussels sprouts. But you're going to learn over time, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10, you know what? Idols are nothing. Just eat it. It's no big deal. Our God is bigger than all this. He made everything. You can eat it to the glory of God. And you start to figure that out as you grow in Christ. The point here is whether you're weak in faith and you're doing the vegetables only thing, not as a diet plan, but for, for religious conviction reasons, weak in faith or you're strong and you say, I've got an iron gut, pass it. I'll eat anything you put before me. It doesn't matter to me. My God's creator over everything. I can eat absolutely anything as long as it doesn't have a pulse. Mature. Regardless of which one you are, don't make it an issue. That's all. That, that's it. We can close in prayer. Don't say amen. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, the, that's, that's this whole passage. But it's a complicated enough issue. He gives an entire chapter of the Bible to it because we know how we are. Or we don't. <laughs> he knows how we are. And so with that in mind... If we haven't read verse 3 yet, I'll read verse 3 and ask you to join me. Let not the one who eats, that's the strong or the mature one, despise the one who abstains, that's the immature or weak one. Then he says, and let not the one who abstains, the immature or the weak one, pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And we could go there, we'll go there next week. Verse 21, later on in the chapter, includes drinking as well, drinking wine as well. In fact, he includes absolutely anything and everything. So just let that soak in a little bit. You can eat, drink, whatever you want. We're going to talk about next week, if it violates your conscience because you still think you shouldn't, then we wouldn't want to push you to do it. But eventually you want to get to a place in your Christian life where you're mature and you understand God is sovereign over everything. I'll eat it. But if you're still having troubles, maybe because of certain dates, days, foods, your background, it's true. The Bible would say you're, you're at this point in time weak in faith. That's okay. You can become strong in faith. But the issue is, if you're weak in faith, 
don't go after the men and women who are strong in faith, who eat anything and everything. And if you're strong in faith and you understand your freedom in Christ, don't go after those who are weak and be all about pointing your finger at them. And what's going to happen is we're all going to get along fine. <laughs> once, once again, it's amazing to me, our strongest convictions sometimes when things get perverse, the things we like to talk about the most, the things we're really dogmatic and adamant about are things that the Bible relegates to opinions. I would challenge you as a man or as a woman, as a young person, as a Christian, be known for what the Bible is black and white about. The other stuff sort of takes care of itself. Interesting also, and just another comment before we move on, so many times in our culture we tend to think of people who abstain as the strong ones and people who partake as the weak ones. I submit the scriptures to you. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. But for many years of my Christian life, I thought the strong position was to say, no, I live by a higher standard. When in fact, that's the weak position. So let the word of God meddle in your life a little bit, if need be. Uh, it's pretty, pretty wild what he's saying here. It, it, it tweaks us and challenges us a bit. And I think that's healthy and that's good. Now, verse 4 says... Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That's a great inquiry that has sting, right? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's great because where he's going is, you know what? Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. Who, who do you think you are, Pat? Imposing your opinions and convictions about non-biblical issues on other people. When I do that, it shows I have a Messiah complex. Who are you? Jesus? Who died and made you God? Not a bad statement, actually. Kind of fits this passage. It's helpful. Let's keep reading. This is deluxe in verse 4, where he goes on to say, It is before his own master. He's talking about Christ. That he stands or falls. Get over the Messiah complex. That's only for Jesus. He's the only Lord. He's the only master. Then verse 4 says, And he will, I love this, favorite part of the whole passage, he will be upheld. This is strong or weak. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And that is worth the price of admission. Verse 4. It just doesn't get any, let's make up a word, awesomer for effect. It doesn't get any better than this. I want to take it, I want to remove it from its context, talk about it a little bit, and then put it back in. It, it, it's, it's gospel. That's the gospel verse in the passage. Read it again if you would. And he will be upheld. This is strong or weak Christians. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, this is tremendously important for us to remember the gospel because if I remember the gospel, which would, which would ensure that we stand before God spiritually, if I can remember the gospel and remember that as I interact with you and as you interact with me, weak and strong Christians all mixed together, anything and everything in between, me trying to change somebody's personal preferences isn't going to be what leads to them standing before God. What leads to people standing before God? Jesus Christ is able to make them stand, and he will make them stand. This is awesome. I don't have to be the fix-it police. 
I don't have to be constantly meddling in your life to get you to try to look more like me and my preferences and my personal convictions about issues of freedom. Why? Because the gospel ensures that you stand. And the gospel ensures that I stand. It's not about these other issues. I want you to turn with me to Romans 5 where we see the sort of the, the origin, the background of what was going on here. When, when he says... The Lord is able to make him stand. That's certainly a gospel kind of statement because he he already talked in these terms. He already spoke in these terms in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says, Through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's the standing image. And what's so amazing and radical about it is in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and the context around it, we're talking about being enemies of God. If you know anything about the God of the Bible and you don't know anything about Christ, just pretend like you don't know anything about Christ for a moment. You know anything about the God of the Bible, the last thing in the world you're ever going to do is stand before Him. You are not going to stand before Him in any kind of spiritual sense. You're not worthy to be in his presence. He is a righteous God who's promised to judge sin. He has said that everyone has violated his just law. Everyone deserves just condemnation. We're his enemy. He is our enemy. This is laid out in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 even. And it it doesn't get any darker. So it's the absolute nth degree of arrogance to possibly think you or I would ever stand before God. Ever. It's never going to happen. Apart from Christ. Then Christ. Christ comes. Christ comes, as Matthew 1 says, to save his people from their sins. Christ comes. Christ obeys the law perfectly. Christ, uh, Matthew chapter 3, to fulfill all righteousness. So now, by faith in Christ, based upon His life, based upon His death, based upon His resurrection, based upon all of His perfect righteousness, His righteousness that the Bible teaches is credited to me by faith, I, you know where it's going, Romans chapter 5, verse 2, I stand before God. And you stand before God if you're in Christ. It's awesome. So when we read that verse in Romans chapter 14, and he says, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And you say, that is right. We stand. We stand in grace and it's going to happen. Now, we took it out of its context, still in the context of Romans. Let's put it back in the context of judging other people. And you say, wow, the gospel and remembering the gospel has a profound effect on me not judging other people for their preferences. You see, it's not that I don't want to care about you or you shouldn't care about me. We should care about each other. But leave the gray stuff alone already, would you? Because us coming around to your side on preferences or you coming around to my side on wisdom issues is not what's going to make you stand or it's not going to, it's not going to be what makes me stand. We stand in grace. We stand in Christ. And think about this when we are acting like we've got to get everybody to come around to our preference side, again, we have a Messiah complex. By our practical actions, we're denying salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because we think people are going to stand or fall based upon them being like us. (laughs) It's like self-worship. 
This is so tremendous. I I love verse 4. I love the end of verse 4. Later on at the end of the service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And that's going to be what we're remembering. We're going to remember the gospel. We're going to be remembering the fact that He will make us stand. He is able. We stand in Him. We stand in grace. I came here today just to preach about verse 4. So I'm feeling very, very affirmed and fulfilled. It just never ceases to amaze me. It just keeps coming back to this issue. We've got to get the gospel. Got to get the gospel. Oh, and then we forgot the gospel in this area of life. So we've got to get the gospel. We've got to own it here. And it's going to affect the way we relate to each other on preference issues. Really, really is impressive to see more and more how this works and how Christianity works and how Christian living works and God in His infinite wisdom ties it all back to the work of His Son. It's no wonder we worship Him. Remember the gospel. Well, further unpacking this, now we get to verse 5. Verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another. You say, is that the weak person or the strong one? Well, that's where weak and strong people fight. So, (laughs) we can see in a minute. Keep reading in verse 5. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It doesn't really matter, but it would certainly seem that one that sees a certain day as better is the weak one, and the others are the strong ones. But at the end of the day, the point is made. So now he's talking about days. It's not just about food, it's about days. If you think a certain day is important, then we can have a conversation about it. But at the end of the day, I I need to leave you alone. And if I think, you know what, I don't follow a religious calendar. Leave me alone too. We're not talking about the need to gather together and assemble as Hebrew says we should do. It's not talking about that. It's talking about special, unique days. Maybe we're talking about uh, church calendar days, religious festival days. Just leave it alone. It's not about that. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine whose son was going with us now and then on Sunday afternoons to go wakeboarding. Uh, Imagine a wakeboarding illustration. Um, (laughs) When we'd have an evening, uh, warmer weather, morning service, get done with morning service, quick go after the lake, get back here by evening service, change clothes in storage, still smell kind of bad. You can confront me. You can judge me about that. That's not loving people because you still smell like catfish. But anyway, but a, a friend of mine said, I, I'm really grateful, and he really was, that you've been inviting our son to go with you. They're new, don't have friendships really. Thank you. appreciate that. And then he said, but if you would just do me this favor and not ask him to go on Sundays anymore. I said, sure. No problem. I said, do you do understand that's what makes Sunday night's preaching better? Because I'm refreshed and invigorated. But anyway, we had a good laugh. And some of you right now are thinking, that guy is clueless. And you shouldn't be thinking that. And you might be thinking, I'm clueless. And in my opinion, based upon this text, I don't think you should be thinking that either. Just let it alone. I preached a sermon one time at a church in Dallas, and I talked about 
was the Sermon on the Glory of God, and everything you do is all to the glory of God, having a great time preaching and talking about how it's not, you know, just the church kind of stuff, it's everything, and you know what, you can go home and cut the yard today to the glory of Jesus Christ, and you should, if you do that. And somebody came up to me afterward and said, now you understand that that illustration doesn't actually work. Enlighten me. And the person said, because this is Sunday, so there ought not be any cutting of the yard. I said, fair enough. I'm not a Sabbatarian, so I would do it to the glory of God, and you are, and you wouldn't. Be warm and be filled. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you know what? Don't fight about it. Don't argue about it. Let's be friends, and I think we probably went to dinner with that family that night after the evening service, and I didn't cut the yard because I wasn't at home. And I hate cutting the yard, so the illustration is bad. But anyway... <laughs> These are good illustrations, though, in the sense that, you know what, it's not about that. It's just not about that. Verse 6 says, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. Just, just let them do that. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Let them do that, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Just, just leave them alone. This is, this is not a black and white kind of issue. It's not an issue that we talk about in Romans 13. It's not a gospel kind of issue. And by the way, then it would become an issue. Sometimes then, so this is a, he's dealing with a little bit different issue, but sometimes when food laws or any kind of laws or day laws uh, do start, somehow if you do these things, then God will accept you, and they start clouding and convoluting the gospel and compromising the gospel, then the gloves come off. Then it's, a, then it's on a whole different level. He's assuming now we all believe the gospel, we understand the gospel. By now we're in Romans 14. So now that we've crossed the bridge of faith in Christ and we understand it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, now it's this kind of issue. Now it's a different kind of issue. Speaking of gospel issues and food laws, I don't want to get too far into this. I think we'll talk about it next time. But, but as another illustration I think might be helpful when it comes to days, and food. I want to have you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the reason I want you to go there because I want to talk about Lent and talk about the world we live in, in Omaha, Nebraska, the world you're coming from, perhaps, or not, because you deal with people all around you, some here, some not here, who observe what's called Lent. Lent can be a gospel issue. People don't understand salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I must do these things when it comes to food laws. Then God will accept me. But it doesn't have to be. And the people that promote these extra-biblical laws we're going to see in the Bible are called false teachers. But I might be one who's come under that system. I'm just used to doing this. But I understand the gospel. So this isn't a gospel issue for me. I just understand that this is what you're supposed to do on Fridays in the springtime. It used to be this is what you're supposed to do in the springtime all the time, but now they changed it to Friday, so I do it on Fridays. No red meat. And so with that in mind, uh, let's read that passage. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. So this is, this is a gospel issue. Okay, And he's talking about teachers by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And you think, oh, here they go. They're going to deny the deity of Jesus. 
Well, that would be demonic teaching. But notice, if it affects the gospel, it's demonic doctrine, even if it's about something far less. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, verse 3, who forbid marriage. You really want to be godly, you can't get married. Oh, those are are liars who say those things, according to this text. And he goes on to say, and require abstinence from foods. Not a preference issue. This is a requirement. If you really want to be godly, you will not eat certain foods, maybe at certain times. This is a gospel issue for these false teachers because they're called liars and they depart from the faith. Keep reading. That God created... This is an insult on God the Creator. To be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Verse 5, for it is made holy by the word of God and, and prayer. Now, think, knowing that passage could be a gospel issue, but, but now... Leave, leave that alone there and come to our passage and realize, you know what? People come out of all different kinds of backgrounds. Some of you do. This is real life for some of you, exactly where you're coming from. And when it, springtime comes, you don't think you can eat red meat on Fridays. Now, if you think somehow that's going to earn your way into heaven because Jesus didn't pay for all of your sins, so if you do this enough, then you don't have to suffer as long in purgatory when you die, then you don't get it. You don't get the gospel. You're not a weak Christian. You're not a Christian, okay? I mean, that's just... You, you, got, you need to understand the perfect atonement of Christ. But, 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 if you're coming out of that background and you say, Pat, I understand grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I totally get it. Lent is not going to get me in. Going without is not going to get me in. I, I understand that. But it seems to me like I shouldn't eat meat on Fridays. I'm going to say, praise God, don't. You going to have a fish fry at your house? I would love to come over. I'll eat fish. I won't make fun of you. My wife won't come because she doesn't like fish. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I would love, I, I would, it would be a great thing. And I won't make fun of you. And I won't judge you and saying you should be doing this, you weak Christian. I'm not going to do that. Just as you find out that for lunch that day, knowing I was coming to your house, I had a filet just to get ready to balance it out. <laughs> you leave me alone. It's not what it's about. So not what it's about. Not too long ago, Molly and I had dinner with another couple, some friends of ours we've been doing a Bible study with for quite some time. We as a ma- And they go to a church that is hardcore into Lent. We've been invited to the fish fries. And so... We went to dinner. It was Friday. We talked about this passage, 1 Timothy 4, by the way. We talked about the gospel. They would explain the gospel to you. They would say they believe the gospel. They understand. But we're ordering, and the woman ordered, and she didn't know what to do. Do you do the seafood platter or whatever it was? Because it's Lent and it's Friday, or do you not? She dialogued about it. I said, if you think you should eat fish, then I think you should eat fish. I'll be the last one to try to tell you you shouldn't eat fish. We had this conversation a long time ago, but you know what? Yeah. We'll get into that next week. You don't want to violate your conscience. Her husband was making fun of her because he's getting red meat. 
He's supposed to follow Lent too, but he doesn't. And then Molly started making fun of her. I'm kidding. <laughs> Get the fish. And you know what? I don't mind. I'll order fish too if it makes you feel better. I wouldn't mind at all. Oh, no, 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 I don't mind, but I think I'm going to get the fish. And there's no fun being made of. You can eat whatever you want, but if you still think you should eat fish, then just eat fish, and it's okay. It's okay. Well, the illustrations, I I suppose, could go on and on about these kinds of things. Um, There are other issues, probably spent more time there than need be, but it's real for us. How about other special days? Some of you come out of a religious background where Christmas is a holy day. I think Christmas is a day. Please don't misunderstand. I believe in the virgin conception. I believe that Jesus was really born in Bethlehem, just as the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't say when he was born. And the Bible doesn't say have a special holiday celebrating his birth. So we've got to work together. It's no big deal. Some of you think, because you know the pagan background to this thing we call Christmas, Saturnalia and all the pagan festivals and all this kind of stuff, and you say, I don't want anything to do with Christmas whatsoever, and I don't think anybody else should either. Romans 14 is for you. Some of us who are here December 25th, celebrate Christmas. Some of us who are here, no doubt, December 25th, don't celebrate Christmas. Don't make it an issue. Don't make it an issue. That's the application of this passage. Here's another fun one, Halloween. Some of you, trick or treat, I won't ask for a show of hands. Some of you would never think of trick-or-treating. And you're dying to put your hand up. Don't. Don't make it an issue. But I understand all the pagan origin of the whole thing, all this kind of background. You know what? Read 1 Corinthians 10. Demons are nothing. Eat the candy. (laughs) Right? I mean, just read Romans 10. Paul's like, you know what? Go for it. He's not talking about Halloween, but pagan idolatry. Now, there's a certain setting where you wouldn't want to do it and a certain setting where you would want to do it, and we're not going into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 right now. I'm just trying to make the point that I take it that this is always going to be what's happening at Omaha Bible Church. Let me go a step further. I always want it to be happening at Omaha Bible Church. I always want there to be some people who are anti-Halloweeners, and I always want there to be people who are pro-Halloweeners. I've got to get my candy from somewhere. But <laughs> joking aside, because if we're a healthy church, we're going to have people who are immature, and we're going to have people who are mature, and we're going to have people who are all in between. And we're evangelizing, and people are getting converted, and they're going to be immature, and they're going to hopefully become mature. And we're always going to have the dynamic convictions about non-biblical issues. Now, pastorally, I'm going to wear a different hat sometimes, and I put it on a little bit today, uh, trying to help immature become mature, and maybe I shouldn't have done that, but that's what I've done. Don't make days issues. Don't make food an issue. 
Now, there is a place perhaps to do that when the gospel's compromised. Or with the weaker brother, there might be a certain setting we'll talk about. 1 Corinthians 10 would have a certain kind of setting as well. But by and large, where we are, where we sit, please take these words to heart and don't make these issues. Just leave it alone. Well, more about that next time. More controversy. Let's move on. Now the reasoning from verse 7. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we, we, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10 says in chapter 14, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Again, Messiah complex is why. Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand, again, picking that up, before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, referencing Isaiah 45, 23, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Obviously quoted in Philippians chapter 2 regarding specifically regarding Jesus Christ. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It ends well. I've got to remember I'm not him. And you've got to remember you're not him. And we need to let other people grow in grace. And we need to avoid judging each other for things that are not clear biblical things. We've got to go back to the gospel again and again to remind ourselves to do this. And oh, by the way, that's what we're supposed to be about anyway. And so we have our preferences. And we have our freedoms. And we have them in Christ. Again, the second part of Romans 14 is about not causing a weak Christian, someone who thinks that something is wrong even though it's not wrong, to not cause them to stumble. We shouldn't try to push them uh, to, to violate their conscience. A weak Christian has a weak conscience. They're still thinking, if I eat certain foods, God won't accept me, or, or, or somehow I'm less godly. What we need is we want them exposed to the Bible again and again and again, so the Bible informs their conscience, so they can become a strong Christian, and they can understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, and that's, it's, it's, it's all good. It can all be eaten. Or even if you look down at Romans chapter 14, verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good, because it is good, be spoken of as evil. So next week we're going to have to use some care as to how we f flesh this out. How do we deal with each other? Okay, we're not going to judge each other, but how do we deal with each other as we do seek to see weak Christians become strong Christians? Well, we don't want to do it like a bunch of knuckleheads, causing people to violate their conscience. We want to help them and to help them grow and be cautious and careful and loving about how we do this. So it should be a great time. Don't close your Bible quite yet because in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, you have a great, great text to meditate on today as we prepare to eat the Lord's Supper and to drink the wine, drink from the cup. 
It says there at the end, as we emphasized earlier, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's remember that. Let's meditate on that. We're being reminded today that we will stand. If you're believing in Christ, weak Christian, strong Christian, irrelevant. Because Christ's perfect righteousness, if you're a believer, has been credited to you. And so you're not half standing. You're not slouching spiritually. You are fit to stand before God. Not with your chest out in pride. Yes, indeed, with humility. But you are fit spiritually to stand because of Christ's righteousness. And as we eat and as we drink and as we do what Jesus says when he says, do this in remembrance of me. You're remembering the gospel. You're remembering that in Jesus Christ, you stand. And have that be a joyous thing. Have it be a great thing. Praise be to God that, only, that it's not the case that only mature Christians get into heaven. No, all Christians get into heaven because it's all based upon what he has done. I grew up in a church where the pastor would say at communion time, he would stand in front. And he would say something in this regard. He would say, By, as an ordained minister in the church of Jesus Christ, I now declare unto you the entire forgiveness of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I will not say that today. That was tied to communion. I will not say that today because your sins are not forgiven by anything that you do. Your sins are not forgiven because you eat this bread. Your sins are not forgiven because you drink this wine. But I will say this. In 1 Corinthians 11, which I'll read in a moment, the traditional communion text, it does say, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We declare the Lord's death until He comes. So I do want you to see the reality of this. We are declaring to each other that our sins have been forgiven. Not are being forgiven or have been forgiven because of what we do here. But we most certainly are proclaiming to one another that our sins have been forgiven based upon Christ's historic work some 2,000 years ago. And so please don't overreact. This is a service. This is a, an observance where we are declaring the entire forgiveness of our sins because of Him and because of what He's already done for us. And have that cause joy to fill your hearts. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You proclaim the gospel, the good news, until He comes. When we eat today and when we drink, we are proclaiming the good news that indeed our sins have been forgiven. Please, please, please know that it's just bread and it's just wine ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ as a declaration of forgiveness 
that was secured 2,000 years ago in Christ's perfect work. Please enjoy that. Please embrace that. Have this be a great time of meditation. Have this just be a great time where you're meditating on the glory of Christ that you can know for certain you don't have any sin to deal with. And this is a declaration of that secured reality. Please serve us if you would. I'm going to pray, and then they're going to pass out the bread and the wine. Father, thank you for, for the great reality of the gospel. Thank you for the freedom that is in Christ, freedom that we have because we know with certainty that we stand in grace. And may that cause us to function differently as a church, that we wouldn't have this ugly judgmentalism that elevates ourselves but that we would have a a sweet graciousness about ourselves as we remember Christ and what He's done. And Lord, even now, as we prepare to eat together and as we prepare to drink together, may this be a great time where Christ is exalted even more so now that we've had an opportunity to learn more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please wait to be served if you would. We'll eat together, we'll drink together, but please serve us now.